0: Hey, this is Jesse, just letting everyone know that Zonin Canada is now available on SoundCloud, the iTunes Store, and Stitcher please consider following us on one of those platforms. Also, if you know anybody who might be interested in the show and isn't following it already, spreading the word to them can really help out at this point. This episode is going to be split into two segments. In the first part, Carl and I sit down to discuss some interesting developments in the world of streaming and geoblocking. In the second part, Emily and I sit down with a very special guest, the one and only Anime Master from YTV. It all starts right now. So, I got an interview, but before we get to that, there's a, a couple things I wanted to cover. Just tonight, we
1: heard the announcement that there's a new Fruits Basket manga coming. Yes, and an incredibly vague announcement that I think the original anime is running on Animax, but it's not clear that it's the original well, anime, so... But it's Animax, It's so probably It's probably the original. Somebody on Twitter would have, like, decoded the secret if there was a new Fruits Basket anime, but it's just one of those things where it's, like, really... Really could use an English press release right about, you've hopefully had one by the time this episode goes live. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, this does remind me of a couple things. One, I still actually
0: have not finished the original manga. And two, it, it also reminds me of that horrible article I wrote for uh, Protoculture Addicts back in like 2005 saying that Fruits Passage jr on YTV. Don't read it. Don't look for it, please. But I'm a little scared, because Lance just said on Twitter today that I think he's going to start covering Protoculture Addicts
1: on uh, Anime Mm. Nostalgia Bomb, so... Mm. uh, Oh, can't can't wait to see that on Lance's site. It's going to be good times. (laughs) uh, Yeah, it's... uh, (laughs) All right, anyway,
0: a few things to cover. As you may remember from a couple episodes ago, we were talking about online streaming, and we were very... uh, Proudly advocating the use of
1: Hola, but apparently there are some issues with that. It's uh, awesome. Carl, it's a botnet, and they sell your bandwidth to uh, yeah, DDoS put, other people, put, put, which means basically ruin other websites put, let, for money. Take, take a step back. So, yeah. what is the whole issue? What's what is the whole deal with with the free version of Hola? The free version of Hola. The whole idea is is that you ideally it should only be that you also act as an endpoint. So that if somebody for some reason, ridiculous reason, wants to watch Netflix Canada over in Netflix America, they can make, somebody in the States can make themselves look Canadian by using your internet. However, in practice, the way they actually make the free version make sense for them to operate is they turn around and sell the, uh, your bandwidth to a distributed, uh, you know, service And really what it means is they're selling your bandwidth to act as a DDoS, a distributed denial of service tool, which was used against various websites, including the notorious 8chan. Yeah, the the article
0: that broke this news was oddly sympathetic towards 8chan. So I don't know. I'm not a
1: tech person, so I'm still kind of skeptical about this. But Carl says it's a bad thing. It's an incredibly bad thing to do. It's like, it's put this way, you don't ddos things you don't you don't you don't do denial of service because it's like it's a basic internet etiquette things you'd be like i hate the crap that's coming out of your mouth but i'm not going to punch you in the mouth for it because that's over the line and ddos is the internet equivalent of assault so you can't do it it's not cool even for jerks If you don't like jerks, you deal with jerks the appropriate legal way, not by buying bandwidth from a company, unknowingly selling it from its customers. And in general, you don't run a DDoS, because the only way to do it is through fairly illegal means, botnets that have been created through viruses, botnets that have been created through software that's supposed to be this great great VPN deal, but is actually not. And unfortunately, the part that really sucks about this is we can't turn around and be like, hey, go on this other service, because they're... Yeah, <laughs> about that. Is, is there an alternative? What What can we do instead? Have friends in America who will set you up a VPN, <laughs> or spend about. Yeah, I think you can supposedly set up a VPN. Like it's about three bucks a month for an actual VPN, and if you consider that you're only paying about seven a month for Netflix, like taking a slight surcharge on that is not the worst thing. Um, you know. I, I, you you pay for more useless
0: things on a daily basis, I guess. Um, uh, as we sit here yeah. sipping fricking Tim Hortons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ritual. Um, But anyway, because I'm an idiot, I still use hola sometimes.
1: Uh, pri- yeah, primarily... You can't see me, but I'm visually pretending to slap Jesse right now.
0: Yeah. So, but here's the thing. One thing I was using it to, to test out the other day was Viewster. Mm. So... Y- You may not be familiar with Viewster, mostly because they have done a terrible job of promoting their service here in North America. But Viewster is a UK-based streaming service that has uh, been streaming a lot of anime content uh, in the UK and internationally. Most of their stuff is available in Canada and the US, uh, but a really interesting exception has come up in the last couple of weeks. Nia Under 7, uh, a
1: show that was once owned by Genion... Uh, or actually, I think they—I think only Pioneer put it out. Pioneer co pro it, and I think Genian did do... Under the Genian years, there was a box set release. But it was one of these things that was... One of the many Pioneer titles that didn't get any traction until way later. Um, right. And then by the time it got traction, it was out of print. <laughs> but it's a neat show. It's actually a comedy, which is
0: surprising considering it's from the team that brought us Serial Experiments Lane...
1: Well, okay, it's everybody from Lane except Chiaki Konaka, which is why they made a, a character making fun of Chiaki Ko- Konaka, who was a UFO addict. It was basically, it was like they literally, like, hey, the one person who didn't come back, we're gonna make a character making fun of them on the show. Yeah. Which will really underline just how much of a comedy it is if they're like jabbing other staff members by, through characters. She is the best character though. Like no way the 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 incredibly stereotypical convenience store person who is an alien, but also for some reason obviously a Napoapuna Pasipina Pedalon style like uh, Indian like it's ridiculous. That,
0: that was what was kind of funny about the show was that it was supposed to be a commentary on. Japan's
1: policy when it comes to immigration. Oh, it, absolutely. um, it's absolutely—it's a hundred percent. But a policy on Japan's immigration and xenophobia, yeah. down, but, but it winds down up to being... like incredibly meta lines where it's all like, yeah, you can barely tell that these people are different, and it's like you're you're, you're talking about Koreans. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. so bad. It's still kind of weirdly racist, but you know, in this,
0: still in a well-meaning, obviously kind of I, missed, 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 uh, misfired kind of way. But I think
1: it's almost like it's, it's a little too self-aware of it. I think it's like, it's not racist to be racist. It's using a racist stereotype to kind of underline just exactly how the cultural disconnect is there, I feel. It doesn't always quite hit that mark, but I think that's really the intent.
0: Point is, Nia Under 7, mm-hmm. good show, worth checking out, but if you're in Canada, you can't check it out. Uh, because even though the title is available in the UK, it's available in Italy, it's available in Russia, it's available in Germany and a few other countries, but it's not in Canada. Which is pretty weird. And I actually, I even tried it out with Hola. This is what I was was trying to test. And even with Hola, you can't access it within Canada. Which is, is kind of weird, because you can even get Hulu using Hola. And yeah. Hulu was like the ultimate unbreachable streaming service for so long. Now this... Brings a, a a few interesting issues because, of course, Neander 7 was part of that whole uh, Genion mess of licensing. So it it's possible that it was just kind of... It's tied up in something that is going to be very difficult to untangle. It seems to me very unlikely, though, that the Canadian rights are inaccessible.
1: Yeah, no, I think there is just probably bad contracts written. There's probably this bad assumption that, like, hey, North America is... US is also Canada it's like no dog that's separate Well that's that's the whole thing is because we have this this history
0: where the US and Canada have been considered one territory mm-hmm. and now generic English speaking North America Exactly and we're making this transition now to where Canada is a separate territory from the United States which we're seeing with you know Hulu and a lot of the a lot of the, the streaming, streaming weirdness now. border weirdness that's going on which is you it's know fine we have show me <laughs> We do. <sighs> yeah. yeah, I don't even have a. I don't even have a retort for that.
1: No, you no. Know, <laughs> mocking it is the retort. Yeah, crazy. Honestly,
0: it is like for Canada to be a separate territory from the U.S. is actually in many ways good. But the idea of these two territories being the same is so intertwined that it almost seems like we can't transition away from it. Because on one hand, I mean, the home video market is still. One territory for the yeah, U.S. and Canada.
1: Yeah, well, that's, our, that's our Blu-ray. That's our DVD.
0: Yeah, and it's it seems Im- impossible to move away from that mentality, and still, and o- over the years, I mean, Canadians have you know developed a kind of entitlement to get everything that the U.S. gets, which you know, honestly, that's been the whole basis of of Zon in Canada from the beginning. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily a
1: wrong, but it seems really weird that we could move 140 miles away. Um, not even that, excuse me, that's all the way to Seattle. It seems weird that literally 40 miles away, you can be like, Hey, now you can stream this show. Yeah. It's just, it, it it is very proprietary and it is, it's incredibly artificial. It's all this hangover and institutional momentum from the idea that, you know, these things have to be separate for separate countries. And when in fact, the way the internet's set up is, it would be vastly easier from a technical standpoint to just say, everybody can stream this done. <laughs> yeah. But the the thing is that in this case, we don't
0: really know what happened, but the, no the, the speculation right now is that the Japanese licensor simply neglected to separate the U.S. and Canada and assumed that the U.S. rights were going to cover Canada because uh, yeah. that's traditionally how it's worked. And now we're kind of screwed over as a result. So if this is true and, you know, if, if it's not true, there's still other instances that sort of reinforce this idea. Does this make Canada unique when it comes to this kind of situation, especially when it comes to anime? If Canada is gonna become has become an its own territory when it comes to streaming rights, is there still anything that sort of makes us special now that we can't argue that we're, you know, tied
1: to the US territory? No, the way I that think we it makes us be? super special now. And yeah? in a way that's incredibly problematic because instead of it being like, Oh yeah, this company has gotten rights to this show And they're, you know, it's a US company, like, you know, let's say, let's say Funimation or Crunchyroll runs into this where they, I mean, I don't think, well, Crunchyroll seems incredibly diligent and so does Funimation, but let's just edge case possibility. Because if Euster can run into it, it's now within the realm of possibility that somebody gets the rights to the US release uh, for for streaming and then is completely, you know, they missed Canada somehow uh, or saved like a dollar or something. And then we don't have a legal way of streaming it. It's it's either gray market or straight piracy, and I think that's really bad because Canada is small enough that you could see where it's gonna get ignored. Just like kind of how we had this whole problem with DVD distribution forever and still kind of do. Um, we could be in a real pickle yeah. here shortly if it's like, hey, I hope Show Me picks it up after the fact. <laughs> like if, if we become dependent. Like on Show Me and Crave, that's gonna be real. That's gonna drive. That is nightmare go- scenario right there. Yeah, no, and like, <laughs> and now it's like it's not, it's not like, haha. But that only be for like sitcoms. Well, one that still sucks. Like it still sucks to the idea that like, hey, you know who might end up with Community season six in Canada instead of Yahoo, the company that funded it and made it exist, would be Show Me or Crave. Like that's screwed up. And the fact that that that's could be the, our new normal is yeah. unacceptable. And especially with anime, I mean, there's the argument exists. This is something that Mm -hmm. we're probably
0: going to talk about a little more in the next episode. Is that in terms of percentages and proportion wise, anime is arguably more popular in Canada than it is in the states.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, there's certainly an angle to that. I mean, I think in general, like the millennial generation, that's like us and younger, to a certain extent, all grew up with a lot of anime. And the result of that is, um, you know, in general, it's it's popular with younger people. So I'm not sure whether by proportion or not, but there's enough. That's a large enough generation that you can't ignore it. It's the largest single generation, so in the U.S. and Canada. So if you can't get anime, that's a huge, like you're like you are leaving money on the table. You are encouraging piracy by encouraging piracy, in for one genre or medium it begs piracy of other genres of medium so it makes a lot more sense to just provide it legally and to have a framework wherein that that's not a nightmare and a pain in the neck yeah so dealing that- with third tier garbage localized streaming services one other thing really interesting
0: announcement was made just this morning my anime list which is the popular website where people make accounts, and make lists of all the anime they've watched, and uh, how they rank them, which... King
1: King of Weebs, the website.
0: King of Weebs, the website. Who is the King of Weebs? They have teamed up with the Anime Consortium of Japan, who runs, of course, Daisuke, and Mal is going to start carrying Daisuke streams, um, which is... Honestly, probably the best strategic decision that this website has made in its entire existence, because now they're going to be reaching a a built-in audience.
1: Yeah, it's like, hey, I just checked out my friend's favorite anime list, and here it is, the streams legally, immediately, with ads co-sold directly on it. I mean, the the, the one thing that I hope comes out of it is I hope Crunchyroll and Funimation take a look at just how much of a threat this is. And immediately follow suit with, oh, we better also have our stuff there. Yeah. We be- we, like, like I don't see any reason why that can't be a driving force for all of the major streaming services. And it isn't, in- like, that needs to be, they need, like, everybody needs to be there. Because if everybody's there, again, it's this whole thing of just, you never even bothered to look towards piracy in the first place. There's all the shows, except for Neander 7, because you didn't get a And... <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> uh- no, the one thing that actually will be really interesting out of the Mao thing is you will have you will really see in action this aspect of um you know I think Daisuke everything they've got is is worldwide but if anybody worldwide else
0: Worldwide except Japan and China.
1: Yeah. So well, hopefully no, ho- no. hopefully that will apply to Mao who knows
0: like we could well, wake not, up tomorrow well... and everything is like blocked in Canada for all we know. Oh my lord. Probably not going to happen but, no, I, but I, mean, I guess I got there's that but,
1: there, but there's an aspect there of if You have, on one hand, some things that are showing up worldwide, and then for other titles, it's, here's this nightmare list of, well, if you can to click here, if you're in the States, click here, and if you're in the UK, click here. Like, that needs to be... More elegant? Well, (laughs) really, like I said, it's all a hangover. It's all this leftover idea that... You know, it, as as Lance said on a prior podcast, it's a hangover from syndication and from when it was really hard to scale and do these things in real time. Um, now there is just no reason for it to not be, here's this one company, they contract, they, it's available global, done. There's no reason for the, there's no reason to have, there's reason to have competing companies, but competing companies with global reach. There's no reason for, I work in a locality. I'm like, "No, it's 2015. We're done." But <laughs> in- interesting thing here is that in
0: the fall, uh Daisuke is going to be streaming One uh One Punch Man, yep. which was a Viz license, which means that a Viz simulcast title is actually going to be available in Canada finally, yeah. maybe. Uh You you speak too soon, Jesse. Uh yeah, I know. <laughs> well, presumably this will be the case. Uh whether this means anything for other Viz titles is questionable, though. It's possible that Daisuke yeah. just got on this particular one because they wanted a piece of the pie. Yeah. Uh, I think when it comes to something like Sailor Moon, though, Viz is more likely going to see Daisuke as a competitor than as someone to
1: broaden their reach with. Yeah, no, That's think, my guess. Well, but... I think that goes with anybody in streaming. like those Everybody in home video, and I think that's why we've seen certain, you know, notable... Uh, people in the anime industry bail out of the home video lines into independent contracting and or uh, direct work with uh, streaming-based anime services is because... Well, though, you're, not, you're,
0: you're not talking about specific people at all? No, there, are you, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right. So the reason we see people like Adam and uh, uh, Sheehan and Lance Haskell bail, there is an aspect there of the next step is not being a regional licensor. That's done. That is a like I said, it's like that was that worked and it and it helped anime explode in in the US and in North America kinda as a whole. Um though I mean it also left like it left money on the table and left fan fandom on the table in Canada in a in a big way. And that's done. Like the the new game is is the show is running, you know, day and date everywhere. Everybody's getting into it at the same time. Everybody's making money on it in that one shot, and then in additional shots, if it turns out to be hotter than they expect, then they can come back and loop back for additional merch. If they didn't plan for that, they can loop in on you know some some Blu-ray and di- like the physical releases can be staged, but the participatory release is a united thing, and arguably it has been for 15 years now because people have been streaming fan subs online that long. But now it's a a global thing and yeah. you actually make money at it. Well, how long will it take to bring all the, all, all the parties in kicking and screaming? That's the big question. Uh, it's just how right. long do they take for them to go out of
2: business? Oh, no, no. I yeah. no, I
1: don't think that, I don't think, I think the companies are, I don't think we'll see things go out of business. I think we can see mergers for sure. I think we can see some of these places, you know, Oh, I'm, I had, I had your set of streaming rights for this country and, and and so on. Like, I think a lot of the people who Funimation partner with internationally, I think, honestly, like, you could say, eh, let's make that one company that co- that can actually compete against Crunchyroll um, as a international company. Because the idea that you're just working in a region, again, done. So anyway, uh, I think we should get on to this interview now. So Emily Gonzalez
0: and I... Uh, We interviewed YTV's anime master, Martin Su. Uh, The interview was actually conducted a couple weeks ago, June 28th. I apologize for the delay. It's been a pretty crazy couple weeks here. Uh, So I should provide a little bit of context for this particular interview. The anime master interview is probably going to be significant for a couple of particular types of audiences. Uh, One audience is going to be the people who are probably a little younger than me during the anime boom. Uh, You may recognize the anime master from the old kids interactive website, yabber.net, and as well as ytv.com, where the Anime Master not only wrote articles, but also conducted a number of chats and unique types of engagement with the younger audience at the time. If this was the sort of time period, you know, early 2000s anime boom, where you entered the world of online fandom at a young age, there's a very good chance that Anime Master played a role in it. Uh, So... In Canada. In Canada, so... (laughs) Uh, you'll, probably, you'll probably get something out of this interview for sure. The other audience is probably going to be those trolls who hang out on YTV's Facebook page and constantly harass them for not catering to their childhood memories. I just want to let you know that YTV is not obligated to serve you or fit your ideals of a youth broadcaster because you don't know what kids like. I'm sorry. Kids, kids want to watch Old Gundam. <laughs> Kid, yeah, definitely. Just to let you guys know, YTV is different. They're serving an audience, you're not part of that audience, and you clearly don't understand that audience. So, please, you know, if you're listening to this podcast for that reason, please get a life. I mean, I got a life, so I'm sure you can too. Right. So, back in the 1990s and 2000s, uh, YTV aired a number of anime shows, including Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball, Pokemon, Gundam Wing, and a few years later, the Bionics block, which I'm sure most of the people listening to this show remember. Uh, Martin Su is an anime fan and researcher who works at YTV, and he's joining us today to look back on the impact anime had on the media landscape at that time. Now, if you followed YTV's website and anime promotional materials over the years, uh, you may know him as the Anime Master. Uh, Martin, say hello.
3: Hi, uh, it's uh, great to be here.
0: Uh, We're very happy to have you on today, Martin. I I really appreciate uh, you coming up. Martin is a regular... At Anime North, a lot of the time, so you may have met him there, whether you realized it or not. And he's, again, still continues to be a very prominent presence at YTV and on their website. So, Javi, how, mean, how is everyone doing? Uh, have you guys been watching anything interesting?
3: Well, uh, for me, uh, I just uh, decided to take a look uh, a little bit more of uh, Toriko. It's an anime I've been uh, curious about. So, you know, and also the way, like, I've seen clips of the, spe- of the uh, specials where it had a cross up with One Piece and Dragon ball z but i just want to see how different it is See uh how you know and compared to other shonen series like dragon ball one piece but uh, i personally found it very uh fascinating you know
0: yeah they they were really pushing it hard as sort of like the you know the new dragon ball or the the one of the new bleaches or naruto's or one pieces uh despite having a really weird premise uh what about you emily what have you been what have you been up to what have you been watching
2: um, so I haven't been watching a lot of anime. Um, obviously, I'm uh, because I I do a lot of stuff with Moonchase. I'm I'm watching Sailor Moon Crystal. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really been watching too much of um, the uh, the Viz uh, redub. Um, uh, I got the uh, the first part of the first season on Blu-ray and I've been watching it here and there. Um, I've also been checking out some stuff on Netflix so things like Attack on Titan and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood uh, and then in more mainstream kind of stuff um, I'm keeping up with things like Game of Thrones, a lot of the, the Marvel and DC shows um, that are coming out now like one of my favorites is uh, Agent Carter, which I heard got renewed for next year. Um, and then another thing for a uh, more uh, Canadian type of thing, um, I'm really into uh, Orphan Black right now. Mm. So so I'm, I'm watching a variety of things.
0: Still only one episode into Orphan Black. I really got to get on that. I feel unpatriotic by not keeping up with it.
2: You got to join the Clone Club.
0: I know... I think I think the only show I've been living and breathing lately has been Steven Universe. I love it. It has to be the best show that Cartoon Network has ever produced. Anime wise, uh, I recently finished Parasite. It was it was okay. Uh, I mean, I think the the ending was was okay on that one. I had heard a lot of great things about it, but I think a lot of aspects of that show haven't really aged very well since it's based on an older comic. But it has you know it has pretty good animation. Music's kind of terrible. Execution is not always perfect, but it's an enjoyable watch. I recommend it. I've also been rewatching Gundam Seed with my girlfriend because she had never seen it. It was kind of funny because we were, were still early in the show, and then she, you know, suddenly recalled seeing bits and pieces of it on YTV, and she was like, "You know, I remember there was one character in this show I really didn't like." <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> "Well, I guess maybe we'll find out who that is
3: very soon."
2: <laughs> <laughs> the one that everybody dislikes.
3: Hey, hey, (laughs) you (laughs) know. Oh, I still remember the reaction from that last, from the very last episode of Gun and Seed. You know, well, I remember, I remember my friends' reactions when we first aired that episode on YTV. You know, so. (laughs) So, Martin, can you just kind of briefly explain to us what exactly your job at YTV is? Uh, Yeah, I'll be glad to. I'm the Senior Research Analyst for Course Entertainment Kids Specialty Services, so that includes networks such as uh, YTV, uh, Teletoon, Treehouse, Nickelodeon, Teletoon Retro, Cartoon Network, and coming this September, we'll be airing the Disney Channel. Uh, essentially, my primary job is I analyze the ratings data, and then I send all my reports to various departments where those reports I use to keep track and evaluate our programming ob- objectives and strategies.
0: It, it may actually surprise a lot of people to hear that you don't actually really work in a PR capacity with the company at all. You're, you're, you're purely in the sort of data crunching, hard-lined ratings analyzing sort of, sort of area.
1: I just look
3: at the numbers, you know.
0: Well, yeah, you just look at the numbers, but I, I would imagine that it's probably one of the most sobering jobs you can have in television because you know how the shows are really performing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, you know, it's something I tell a lot of people that a number is essentially useless unless you have something to compare it to, you know. And so the way I look at the numbers, I can see all kinds of stories that come from that. So if people would ask me, like, how this is doing, I can easily tell them uh, the results.
0: Okay, so with the way you look at it, it's not, it's not entirely quantitative. There's, you, you, see, you see kind of a narrative in the way all this plays out?
3: Well, actually, it's not – well, usually when I give out my reports, mm-hmm. it's not just like a quantitative basis. I give out meaning to the numbers, but sometimes I apply some qualitative techni- um Statements as well, things that I've seen, like how we presented on the network. So it's not just the numbers. I sometimes discuss in in detail about like uh, about the content itself. So it's it's like it's not just the numbers. I see uh, reactions from fans from other sources. Yeah. You know? So it's even though I use the quantitative. As the basis, it, it it creates a foundation and the proof of my explanation, you know. Because usually, when when people usually make a recommendation, you you need the numbers to back up your claim, you know. It's like you know, it's like if you're trying to apply for a business loan, you need to have a business plan, and in the business plan, you need to show the numbers and how everything works.
0: Yeah, so there's so there's a little bit of a, a marketing angle to it as well.
3: In some ways, actually, I do have a marketing uh, degree as well.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. So that's that's sort of what your basis is in. You're you're very attuned to to, to various fandoms, including anime fandom and, and different cartoon fandom. Do you find that differs from more general audiences?
3: Um, there are certain degrees of uh, how passionate uh, certain types of fandoms are. You know, so it's it's just from my from my own personal experiences like i sometimes see like how one group of fans are more passionate uh, than others you know but but like i said in, in my job it's like uh you know the numbers just speak for themselves you know so I look at all different kinds of things, not just the numbers. I do additional research uh, outside of that. You know, uh, a, lot of my, a lot of my research is based on the numbers, but sometimes I add some additional text uh, beyond that, some qualitative statements to go along with that.
0: So you are a fan yourself. Uh, I mean, did you watch YTV as a kid? Any particular shows that you liked or stuck with you?
3: Well, actually, uh, when YTV first came out, uh, well, when it came, first came into existence, I was in grade 12 at the time. But actually, I did watch anime before uh, YTV's launch. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in the 70s, um, there was Star Blazers or Space, Space Battleship Yamato on what, y- WTV, uh, Global, they had Battle of the Planets, and uh, TVO, they had uh, Fables of the Green Force and Tales of Magic, but uh, when we got into the 80s, uh, we had more titles, so, you know, I remember Global, they had Astro Boy, uh, CH-11 Ontario, they had Thunderbirds 2086, uh, Omni, which, well, actually, it was called CFMT at the time, but they used yeah, to- Yeah, I, edit- I don't think
0: it was Omni back in the 80s.
3: Yeah. yeah they used to they, uh, i remember when they first aired uh, voltron there was uh force five uh Tech-A-Man, and and actually one of the breakthrough animes in the eighties uh, when w t v showed uh robotech but actually when um, in YTV's v's earliest years. So um, some of the anime that they aired, uh, that included Saber Rider and the Star Shares and Samurai Pizza Cats. But uh, YTV also aired the Vancouver dubbed uh, Dragon Ball in the early years as well.
0: Yeah, that was a few years later in about 95, 96. Uh, mm. And yeah, that one definitely, uh, Dragon Ball definitely stuck a lot more here because it was an early example of a show that was just kind of floundering around in syndication, but was able to you know, grab a, a firmer national audience in canada and i know a lot of a lot of the shows you mentioned before they aired on their local broadcasts in toronto but uh i mean i I guess apart from battle of the planets on global which i guess would have aired in global stations around the uh, around the country but then ytv just sort of marked that with with saber rider which that was like the one of the big examples of of a show that was uh airing in, in specific mar- markets but on YTV it sort of took on this new context as something airing nationally that the whole country could watch at the same time yeah yeah so when did you start working at YTV what uh, and what shows were, were running on there at the time
3: uh, well, actually, I started working with chorus in uh, August of uh, 2000. So, that means by uh, by August this year, I'll be with the company for 15 years. Um, but at that time, you know, when I got started there, uh, YTP already started airing a number of anime such as uh, Pokemon, Digimon, uh, Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, and Monster Rancher. And so, when I got started, uh, Pokemon was the dominant anime force at the time. Uh, my debut year, it took place um, near the end of the Pokemon Orange Island episodes and around the start of the Johto Saga. And so in the fall season of my debut year, uh, that's when YTV started uh, adding in uh, Gundam Wing, uh, Visitor Escaflowne, and Teletoon, uh, they started airing uh, Card Captors.
0: Yeah, that was definitely an interesting season because we saw... You know, Escaflone was you know kind of prospering in that in a, in a prime time slot, and then we had the Gundam Wing thing in the evening, and then it wasn't really taking off too much on Teletoon, but they they had uh, they had picked up. Card captures through through Nelvana, I suppose.
3: Well, let's not forget that uh, when Teletoon uh, got started, the very first year they also aired uh, Dragon Ball Z, the first thirteen episodes.
0: Yes, they ran. They, I think they were the first Canadian broadcaster to run it, but they ran it at like eleven thirty at night, and it was just those first thirteen episodes over and over again.
3: Yeah, and there were also a couple of uh, uh, anime movies, you know, like uh, Ninja Scroll, Wings of Hanemaze, Hane- Hane- and uh, MadQuest Plus.
0: Yeah. Also, I know that yeah. Again, Teletoon was running DBZ over and over. It did. It did show up on YTV shortly after that. But if I recall correctly, even YTV only at first ran the show at like 1 a.m. Uh, just sort of as a replacement for the old Dragon Ball, which was running at 1 a.m. for a while, and it didn't actually make the move back to weekdays and and or, or weekday afternoon time slots until it had sort of hit in the U.S.
3: Well, uh, actually, no, actually, uh, actually, during a time when I got started on uh, YTV, Dragon Ball was also airing somewhere along, I think it was probably on the Saturday mornings as well.
0: Oh, so
3: okay. At, around the time when Pokemon was very dominant at the time, we were also airing other series, like on Saturday morning, Not just Pokemon, but I remember, I remember uh, YTV airing like uh, Digimon and Dragon Ball Z on Saturday mornings, yeah. But at some point, you know, all, all those shows... Also found a way on weekday afternoons. So, for example, Pokemon, it got it, they made their debut like on a Sunday morning, but at some point later on, they started airing uh, five days a week on uh, the zone on the weekday afternoons. And you know, sure enough, uh, Dragon Ball Z and Digimon also followed as well.
0: But regardless of you know whether these shows were being geared from a U.S. perspective or a Canadian perspective, there was still this sort of general frenzy going on in the early 2000s when the the anime fad was like it seemed the anime anime as a fad was just starting to grow at that time and it was during that time that uh you know Martin's moniker as as the anime master started to to appear in places at at YTV uh Martin what what like how did that really happen how did how did you become known as the anime master
3: well during the early years of my course career uh, YTV had a sister website at the time called YabbaNets. so uh, our interactive department they knew about my knowledge of anime at the time, and so they approached me to ask me if I was interested in doing a Stumpy Anime Master Web ch- Chat for the test. So uh, I agreed, and the first test was so successful that Interactive decided to create a special series of six weekly Stumpy Anime Master Chats that summer. And uh, so the Stump the Anime Master website event, well, that was also very well received in Yavinet. Actually, uh, it earned me a uh, Samurai Award for initiative. And the Samurai Award, that's usually given to uh, employees for putting courses' values into action. You know, actually, even though uh, the the Yavinet website uh, ceased to exist at the time, what happened is that they decided to transfer some of the popular activities and transfer that to uh, the YTV website. So during the majority of the 2000 decade, uh, I was able to contribute articles uh, which helped to promote anime conventions, uh, also to encourage fans to look at and appreciate anime, anime in various ways. And uh, there's also feature interviews with voice actors. So at that time, I like, interviewed over uh, 60 voice actors, but a lot of credit for the existence of the anime master goes to my friend uh, Jennifer Krebs.
0: How often did the anime master get stumped?
3: Well, uh, hmm. on average, um, I'd say um, I'd say a range would go from three to five uh, on per chat.
0: Oh, okay. You know, you were still fighting to hold that that uh, that title as anime master.
3: Well, I was but one of the things I was hoping about the web chats I had done for our fans is that it encouraged them to look at more about the anime that they love, you know, find out new information that they've never seen uh, before on it, you know also gives them a chance like to know uh what else like japan has or like yeah. oh here's something that's coming up that japan is aired. it's like you know it's like for example i remember in the yugioh chat you know at the time when we got started you know like at that time when we started hearing Oh, i already learned about the existence of the egyptian god cards yeah so
0: do you think that canadian kids were getting kind of a taste of something that i you know a lot of u.s viewers wouldn't get or pe- people in different countries wouldn't get or different western countries i guess
3: I think so, because, you know, usually, I th- I guess this is one of those rare moments where we create an opportunity for uh, young anime viewers to have a chance to talk with somebody who knows uh, a lot about it, you know. And this gives me a chance, like, uh to create some inspiration. So, like, there's so much out there, you know, and what you see out there, that's just the tip of the iceberg, you know, so I'm hoping that the chats create, like, a huge impact, like, you know, create a better appreciation uh, for the anime that we show, but also to encourage that, you know, everybody has the potential to become, like, an anime master as well, knowing that there's uh, so much to see and appreciate, you know, so it's like, it's, I don't, I don't try to, like, I'm not here to say, like, I'm the best, you know, but I just want to say, like, I've studied a lot of it, but I just want to use that opportunity to you know, share that with the fans as well.
0: Did you have fun, like, sort of representing anime for the station? I know you still write some pieces as Anime Master on the website today.
3: Well, uh, you know, actually, it was, it was definitely a lot of fun. And uh, having another identity, it had its uh, advantages, too. So, uh, for example, when I go to conventions, I could be anonymous. I can uh, interact with the attendees very naturally. So, in the early years... um. Around the time when Fan Expo was called like C N an Anime, during one of those years, I was in the uh, waiting line for uh, Brian Drummond's autograph, and so the person beside me was asking me if I knew about the Anime Master Chat, and he was saying he knew he had some questions he figured that would stump him. That person never realized uh, who he was talking to this whole time. Wow! Yeah. yeah. So it just, how how, it just, how would
0: he? What yeah, like what, what, like? Uh, I am well, you're a stealthy ninja, so. I guess that makes sense. It's it's cool that YTV actually kind of has somebody to sort of cover conventions. I, I'm, do any Canadian TV networks ever really send anyone... To cons. I know you know i I'm, I'm out in Vancouver so obviously well
2: actually um, obviously space, i' don't, I don't
0: see them but
2: space has a as a huge presence at uh, at fan Expo, um and they've been doing that for a few years um, they had been going there kind of you know having a booth there for a while and then suddenly they decided to become a sponsor and they started advertising fan Expo on on their station, and that's when the attendance skyrocketed. Um, and the first year this happened, they were really unprepared for the massive jump in in the crowd. Um, and uh, and then the next year, you know, you thought you you know you thought they they would be a little bit more prepared, but there's also uh, when you're booking the the space, um, it, you're because of how far in advance they were booking the space, they actually couldn't have booked a bigger space at the time. So it would, they had, uh, it, it. took a little while to uh, to work it out so that they would have enough space for the amount of people who want to go. And now they've they've actually expanded um, to the point that they have taken over the entire convention yeah. center.
0: You know, it's, it's kind of funny <laughs> how, like, media consolidation has brought, like, so many eyeballs and so much attention to, like, like brands like space and yet they're not they never seem to be ready to be sort of face their audience in like a like a convention context or anything
2: like that well actually i found uh space has gotten pretty good at it kind of depends on the year that i think it's taken a little bit of time for them to kind of figure out you know what the best way is to to approach it um i know there was um a, a few years ago um that uh aj had actually um ended up moderating one of the panels with a guest and uh it was it's one of those intermittent interaction uh kind of sessions and um it ended up being a little bit too much like we were watching an interview on tv because he ended up doing most of the questions and so a lot of people in the audience couldn't really ask questions um and and I think a lot of people were kind of disappointed about that. Um, and that was the kind of thing that uh, kind of stuck in my mind when I went to go and, and do moderation at, at Unplugged Expo last year um, because I'd heard that, you know, also before that um, uh, fans wanted to make sure that they had the chance to, answer, to ask their own questions, right? Because um, they don't get to see these people very often. And uh, a media rep can always go and have a private interview, um, but the general fan who's just come there to see that person, they don't have another opportunity to go and talk to that person. Um, so I tried to really make sure that everybody had a chance.
3: Oh, you know, actually what Emily said about the voice actors, I try to do the same thing too. So whenever I have uh, interviews with the voice actors, I always try i always try to make sure it's very entertaining uh, for the audiences. So I always ask the, uh very different questions. But all the voice actors who have interviews with me, they always find uh, fun and entertaining, you know, but I will never, I will never ask them how they got started in the voice acting. I will Thank never you. ask.
0: Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
3: Thank you for that. Martin,
0: did you have any thoughts on like just sort of TV station representation at, uh, at cons? I mean, I think you seem to do a pretty good job of, uh, of, of shouldering that yourself.
3: Well, uh, well actually, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Omni, t- Omni TV was at Anime North and, uh, and they also had a, a, a documentary uh, uh, on their station. They uh, they they aired it a couple of times in the year uh, at the time. I remember a friend of mine was a friend of mine was actually in that documentary. So in that documentary, they see like what their lifestyles are like at home, and then what happens when they're at the uh, conventions. It's mostly the cosplay. So they show like what their lives are like outside of the convention, and then what happens like when they're in the convention when they're in the masquerade. Yeah. You know? So it's 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 really quite fascinating, like uh, how you see uh, other stations who do try to do coverage as well.
0: You know, yeah, for sure. Seeing just seeing other stations just sort of wrap their head around this whole kind of thing.
3: Yeah, and uh, you know, interesting thing. Um, well, here's here's an interesting little thing based on the numbers uh, that I got from Miami Northam one time. So the year after. Uh, YTV uh, aired live at Anime North. Well, the very next year, the attendance for Anime North increased by 60%.
0: Which year was that?
3: Uh, It was around well, we aired live around 2003, so in 2004 the attendance increased by 60%.
0: That's also the year that Inu Yasha premiered on YTV.
3: Uh, Mm -hmm. Was it not? Uh, it was somewhere around there, but yeah, you know, but it's but it just shows, but it also proves that you know when, when you have the right media presence, it shows uh, it shows a lot of people what is out there, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you had you had it yeah. covered both in terms of the actual content and that engagement <clears throat> with the fan base and yeah. the the culture surrounding the content as well, which is yeah, pretty good.
2: Yeah, I think um, you know, like. At at Fan Expo, um, we do actually see some other uh, TV stations will will have a presence there. Like CTV has had a booth there before, um, CBC has been bringing in some people, um, but none of them really go and promote the convention on their station so much um space does because they're a sponsor and they'd been there for a while and i think they really saw that you know like this is basically everything we air so let's appeal to these people um but yeah definitely when something becomes that visible um to the right kind of people who are going to be interested in it it has a huge effect because i don't think that uh, conventions generally um are easy for people to find out about unless you hear it from a friend. If it's on a major television station that there's promotion for it, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this thing existed. And then it becomes more mainstream.
0: Canadian representation amongst industry and conventions is something I've always found a little lacking i think again going back to what i said before i think a lot of it has to do with sort of media consolidation and and, and the fact that everything kind of comes back to the broadcaster in canada a lot of the time and they, they you know they, they don't always have the best approach to dealing with things like fandom and and uh and, and conventions and I, it's definitely barren for that kind of thing over here in vancouver even though i you know, some of our conventions i think seem to get more anime anime distributor representation than you see in, in Toronto sometimes yeah. but Toronto seems to that's that's sort of the broadcasting epicenter of of Canada so you, you're I guess you're it's a, it's a little different over there.
2: Yeah, 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 we get a little bit more of the broadcaster presence um and there you know the industry presence has been very minimal. Um you might get, you know, like one or two um, companies that that might come and then you don 't see them for a while and it 's uh it 's a little disappointing because you end up hearing a lot about things that uh that the different companies are doing in the States um, and they're appearing at all these different conventions all over the country and then they don't really seem to come to conventions in Canada and, um, you know, the, the bigger conventions that we have here are basically in Toronto or Vancouver mm-hmm. um, and we don't end up seeing a lot of industry presence here um, and I think that's a little bit unfortunate for the fan base um well to to be fair
0: i haven't seen an interesting funimation panel in about five years so
2: (laughs) well yeah i mean like there's a balance there right yeah Yeah. so like if the whole panel is basically just okay we're advertising these series that are coming up then that's not as interesting and yeah you could just go to their website and find out what series are coming up here's a trailer Um, please
0: applaud yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) um I think it's good for industry to go and see what uh, what the fandom is into.
3: Yeah, well, that's the thing about the conventions, you know. And like I said, that's that's and becomes very handy for me because that way I can see what the people are into as well. That's one of the things that uh, helped me in uh, figuring out, uh, you know, what kinds of anime we to get during the years of Bionics. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's just one of the parts. I still exa- I still examine the uh, storylines as well, just to be sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but you can tell the popularity of something,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right?
3: Yeah, because if everybody but, is
2: a, is dressing up as Attack on Titan <laughs> characters, you know that ca- that show is popular.
3: <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but you know, but like I said, I have to check the storyline as well because, like, even though like a certain show may be very popular, I still got to make sure it fits certain requirements of YTV. You know, because like yeah. it can you know, it's like it's got to make sure like it fits a certain age group as well. So
2: <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be
3: so Martin, what are your uh
0: personal favorite anime series that have run on YTV over the years
3: well it's the uh well Samurai pizza cats for starters it's a uh, it's a good ex- example where the rewritten scripts surpass the uh, original dialogues in my opinion you know but um well Sailor Moon that was also uh, a huge moment uh for me do you have a particular
0: sailor- favorite uh favorite series of sailor moon like the right the original r s <laughs> you know-
3: Mm, I guess I guess I sort of like the way things were written, like in the in, in the first season of Sailor Moon, mostly uh, mostly because of some of the dialogue uh, that was written, you know. You know, but I also think about the I also think about all the dialogue that uh, Terry Hawks did as well, you know. Uh, Martin, have you ever, did you ever watch Princess Tutu? Uh, I've heard the series myself, but I've never watched it uh, personally. Yeah, Cause it's kind of neat
0: because that one is directed by uh, Junichi Sato, who directed the first season of Sailor Moon whereas uh Ikuhara took over from R onwards. Nikohara went on to do Utina. So it's, it's kinda of neat because Princess Princess Tutu and Utina both kind of represent where those creative minds sort of uh sort of branched off to later. Sorry, that was a total tangent, but <laughs> I was just curious. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, well, I mean, Moon was definitely a huge one because I yeah, remember yeah. that even in the TV Guide and the Toronto Star, they had an article talking about Sailor Moon and its impact on female audiences. But
2: uh, oh, actually,
0: a, they actually like had had specific info on that. That's kind of cool. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I remember the TV Guide article that. Yeah. Um, and there were like some random claims that they made that didn't actually make any sense. (laughs) So it was like they had read like a synopsis of what the series was supposed to be about, but didn't actually watch it.
0: (laughs) Well, that's TV guide journalism for you, I guess.
3: (laughs) Oh my God. You know, I I just had a strange flashback. It was on CBC when they had, uh, Jono vision. And I remember those one episode where they talk about Sailor Moon. (laughs) So, yeah, so it just shows how how far Sailor Moon's popularity went. Yeah, you know? yeah, but uh, you know, but I gotta tell you, one of my most uh, passionate anime series that uh, on YTV, it's uh, it's Yu-Gi-Oh, and for me, it's a little different story because um, I learned about Yu-Gi-Oh a year. Before it ever came to North America, and uh, once I heard plans were being made for Yu-Gi-Oh to come to North America, that's when I started gathering the uh, qualitative and quantitative research on the series, and that's when I recommended that uh, YTV should air that series.
0: How did they did they pick it up very long after it started on uh, on the four kids block? Or, or, or sorry, was it on Kids WB? I can't remember.
3: Uh, at that time, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! in the U.S., it was on the Kids' WB block. Yeah. But uh, all, I, all I did is, like, I just, I just found the article that had the initial ratings, you know, and I just presented it to the ratings group. But I also supplied additional information, like, what it does in Japan and how far the popularity went. Like, I, re- I remember I told them about an article I read uh, about a time when uh, there was a riot in Japan due to Yu-Gi-Oh! cards. Well, actually, according to the article... What happened is uh, there was supposed to be a release of some new Yu-Gi-Oh cards at the stadium. and But what happened is, is that the people who were running the event, they uh, underestimated the amount, number of people that were coming. And a lot of these people came like hundreds of uh, miles to come to get these cards. So according to the article, uh, a last-minute decision was made not to sell the cards. You,
0: uh, a lot of fans, they like draw sort of this barrier between shows that are targeted to to older audiences and you know usually the more localized shows that are that are more targeted to kids you, you seem to have a like a really balanced uh perspective on both of them do, do you feel that like the, the the more localized kid shows get get hated on too much for various reasons or do you think things get the amount of love that they should do you think you know do you, th- do you think some fans have the, the wrong kind of perspective on this kind of thing
3: well, actually, there's no definite answer to that question. I mean, if somebody doesn't like a kid's show, you know, maybe because, you know, that series is not in the target audience range for that person itself. Uh, what I usually look at that's more fascinating for me to see, it's usually see the fan base that a series can build and how far it can grow. You know, it's like, you know, for example, like in the world of anime, you know, like it's For me, it's, like, it's been interesting for me to see the world of anime from the perspective of fans, the anime companies, the voice actors, and the TV stations at the same time. With those perspectives, uh, I, you know, I gained a, a deeper understanding on how everything works. I've always, from that experience, I've always learned that in order to become a better fan, one has to learn to observe from different perspectives and understand the world from all aspects.
0: Some people hate on the, the, the more younger skewing shows a lot of the time. But, I mean, it's important to have them on there because how else are kids going it, to... It's so troubling to know that some kids, like, go on Google to look up info on their on a show they love just to see a bunch of, like, bitter adults hating on it for being too localized or, or something like that. Yeah,
3: but like I said, we just got to look at it from different perspectives, yeah. you know. Have you had an experience where you know, you've had to watch
0: a show that you really love performing Badly and the ratings are getting canceled. Like, uh, like I can imagine that would be a, like a really traumatizing experience if you're if you're really connected to a show or, or like. Does it feel conflicting, or have you just become used to that kind of thing?
3: Well, yeah, you know, like it can be disappointing at times, but you know what? These things happen. You know, sometimes you know, like especially you know, like if there isn't like a strong enough audience for the series, you know. But you know, sometimes you know this can be an advantage at the same time because you know if you if you can cancel one series at least that gives you an opportunity to introduce the audience to something else, you know, that entertains things in a different way. You know, it's, you know, for me, I know the business, be- I know the business behind it, you know? So it's like, if I see the ratings for my past, it's like, yeah, I, un- I, you know, I, I understand, you know, but like I said, there's so many things that, that can happen to, uh, to a show, but, you know, for me, uh, I try, I try to look at things rashly. I try to keep things uh, professional, you know? but like i said whether the show goes on or not that's that's not my decision you know so
0: so just even as a fan you don't you don't find it too hard to sort of remove yourself from uh from that perspective when you're dealing with it in a sort of a professional context
3: well like a, like i said i i again if i if i if i hear like something's going to get canceled uh again i try to as like as a fan as a better fan, I try to look at things from different perspectives. You know, sometimes if something gets canceled, I look at—I try to look at the reasons uh, behind that. You know, of course, I won't have like all the answers, but it's like I, sh- I share the understanding for that. It's like I may not agree with it necessarily, but I do understand.
0: So, do you feel that anime fandom in Canada is is really unique from what we see in other countries, like uh, I mean, Asian countries or even the United States? Uh... And if so, do you think there's any reason for that?
3: Well, I remember that uh, during my trips to Taiwan, I was uh, fortunate to find, like, a lot of large anime merchandise sources in Taipei, and a lot of, of that merchandise goes to uh, One Piece. It, it's very popular there. Like, if yeah, you go, not here. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of you know, I mean, it's, If you go to that one store, you see all different kinds of One Piece merchandise, you know? Like, if you're a One Piece fan, it's one it's going to be One Piece heaven, you know? but uh, But, you know, for the Canadian fandom... Well, let's take a look at uh, Sailor Moon on a side note, you know. So, as you know, all the original voice work was done for Sailor Moon, and that was all, it, that was all done in Toronto. And we've seen how well uh, Sailor Moon did on uh, YTV on various time slots, you know. So, as a result, you know, the fandom for the series rose in Canada more quickly in the U.S. And, you know, at that time, the U.S. put in very odd, like, late night or early morning time slots. Yeah, know? well,
0: it was, just, it was only airing in specific markets. It, it didn't yeah. air nationally there until, yeah. uh, like, USA Night. Work on it, I think.
3: There are some differences here and there between Canada and the U.S., but I think it just shows that sometimes if something is made in Canada, I think it 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 shows that how it's uh, treated may show how it's treated a little bit differently in Canada in a way, you know.
0: It's too bad, it's too bad Pretty Cure couldn't uh, couldn't hit quite the same way,
3: though. Yeah, yeah. But again, like I said, there's all kind of factors yeah. that you know that determines like how well a series is going to do. You know, you know. I sometimes I've seen some. I've seen attempts at some series, and then they just get canceled because, like, some people say, oh, this series is, is a clone of this one, or it just doesn't appeal to it, or, the, or it's just presented in the wrong way, you know?
0: Yeah, going back to One Piece, it's uh, <sighs> it's so sad that that show just can't gain traction in the U.S. or Canada, no matter what. I think it's 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 still going on, uh, on Toonami in the States, but it has, like, the latest time slot, and it regularly scores several hundred thousand viewers lower than than naruto naruto shippuden does um which is kind of sad because you know with naruto shippuden you have like an entire arc where like you have these characters running through a a freaking hallway and yet one piece you have a more interesting arc running at the same time and yet it can't you know people just don't seem want to spend time with those characters it always and that's always kind of distressing for me. And actually, Toonami even ran it earlier a little for a little while. They ran it at eight thirty as a follow up to DBZ Kai, and it still didn't take. It just tanked. Uh,
3: I well, with One Piece, I who told to say with One Piece, it's. Personally, I think it's a different case, because sometimes, like, because there's just so many episodes of One Piece out there, sometimes it's very difficult to absorb everything, you know. So, you know, and, or, for all we know, it's because there just might be other ways to look at uh, One Piece, you know, like, you know, there's a simulcast, there is, uh, there's the wikis, you can see, like, the synopsis of the latest chapters, people can go up to the manga, which is, like, ahead of the anime, but there's maybe so much to absorb at the time, but some series may be easier to get into the story, you know. So,
0: Martin, you were fort- fortunate to be at YTV when, you know, a number of really great anime shows were running on, on the station. Are there any shows that, you know, did not show up on the station, either, you know, during the Bionics period or or after that you really wish could have shown up, but for, you know, for whatever reason couldn't? And, you know, ship has sailed, the hype has died down of the show, there's really no chance we'll ever see it on TV again because the, the opportunity's gone?
3: Well, you know, actually, um, actually, all of the shows that I hope would appear on YTV did appear, and they all delivered great audiences. Uh, but Naruto Shippuden was probably the one series, uh, you know, that didn't air. But keep in mind that, you know, by that time the schedule was already shifting already. Yeah. You know? So, but everything that, but everything like uh, that, I personally hoped I figured would be a great, uh, would great generate great audiences. You know, uh, every, everything that I suggested, it did work out. You know.
0: Actually, I was gonna. What, what about what about FMA Brotherhood? I know that one went to Super Channel, or is that they call it Canadian Television Purgatory?
2: Now it's on Netflix.
0: <laughs> it is on Netflix. Uh, actually, I think they're still missing the last few episodes, but
3: it all depends on timing, you know. You know, but like I said, I'm I'm glad with uh, I'm, I'm just glad with uh, with uh, everything with all the anime that we aired and the impact it had, you know. Yeah.
0: Uh, so just going back to to cons. Uh, as a frequent congoer in the Toronto area, can you talk a bit about the connections between broadcast and the popularity and importance of of conventions for for Canadian anime fandom?
3: Well, you know, the neat thing about uh, attending conventions, it, it creates a good opportunity to see, like, what new programs are trending and which ones, you know, like, are trending and also exciting uh, to the fans. So, you know, like, for example, like, there was that one year where Naruto was in demand, and there was a, the other year where we had Bleach, and then the next year, you know, we had uh, Death Note, you know. But, uh, you know, conventions are definitely uh, a good way to see what is influenced people, you know. It gives us a chance to see uh, what characters are dressing up in. Or what types of merchandise they uh, purchase, but I think the best thing about uh, the conventions it's it 's one of the best ways to bring people together that are passionate about a genre together you know and you know like for example, when it comes to being an anime noise, you could, you could talk to various people and you can see how passionate the, they are you know but it, I think the other neat thing is that when it comes to conventions, you know your audience and sometimes one of the things I've learned is, like, if you know where your audience is, if you give them the message, they will deliver it for you. Actually, it sort of reminds me about that time uh, where I was able to do the uh, announcement about uh, YTV airing The Legend of Korra a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: that, was no- that was notable because they, uh, they wound up airing it very close to the premiere
3: in the States rather than waiting until the fall. Oh, but you, you just seen what the reaction was like uh, yeah. when made the announcement that the opening and closing ceremonies at Anime North. One of my uh, friends who was in the actual audience, well, first of all, after the the loud yelling and applause, she was telling me that a, 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 she meant she noticed a lot of people were going straight to the phones and telling people all about that. And I know, and I also remember seeing a lot of people mentioning about that on Tumblr as well. You know. But it, yeah, it it just shows, but it, it just shows that you know it. Uh, conventions are definitely a good way to communicate to your fans. You know, it's like what you see like at San Diego Comic Con. You know, when you see all those huge panels for upcoming, for upcoming shows. You know,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. If only Cora could have maintained that uh, that frenzy. I guess it did a little bit, but I think after season two, it seemed to kind of fizzle out a little bit with a lot of people. It did. The whole thing did air on Canadian TV, though, right? Uh, we've in different ways, whether it's yeah. on air or
3: on the websites, you know.
0: I th- uh, we, I did, wasn't Nickelodeon Canada going to air three and four?
3: Oh, uh, we yeah we, we yeah we, we did that. Oh, Okay, yeah, oh cool. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you know, but we but we showed it in different ways. So like like I said, we had, we aired it on on air, but also we've also aired uh, episodes online as well.
2: Do you think that? Um that there's going to be any more kinds of announcements like that in the future? Like, is, is that something that, that YTV is, is looking at, at, um, at announcing like a select number of shows?
3: It really, it, you know, if, well, I love to do this way. If, if we're, if we were to do this at Anime Noise, it really depends on what shows and how it connects with the audience, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, but like I said, if, if, but like I said, if, if it was up to me, you know, like, um, but like if we wanted to, it, like I said, it all depends on the connection, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I also remember when when you had uh, announced that uh, that Legend of Korra, you had uh, mentioned that uh, some of the the fan reaction afterwards was. Um, a little bit strange for you because uh, you're normally very low-key at conventions nobody really knows who you are and and then suddenly you were very visible and and you had mentioned that uh someone even came and asked you for an autograph what, what was it like for you to suddenly transition between being you know like almost like a fan just yeah. just a fan who was there to being somebody who was really representing YTV there visibly yeah.
3: For me, I found it a little awkward because, like, somebody asked me to autograph his shirt. Because, like, why me? Like, I'm not like I'm not a voice that does, actor.
0: That does sound kind of awkward.
3: <laughs> it's like, why me? It's like uh, I, I'm not I'm not a voice actor. I'm not I'm not an industry specialist, you know. So I just found that uh, a little peculiar, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm I'm just not I'm just not really famous. It's like I just I just want to help to spread the word uh, for the fans. So,
0: Martin, uh, before we finish off, any, any shows that we should uh, be keeping an eye on in the future? Well, it's – well, what well, – I, I, Sorry, I, I'm not asking – sorry, just to clarify, I'm not asking if, you could, if, if there's anything coming to YTV that hasn't been announced. I'm asking just shows out there that might be localized soon that you think the fandom here should uh, uh, be paying attention to.
3: You know, from what from what I've seen, um, I think the only thing we should keep an eye on is uh, the revival on classic series that we appreciate. Because I, but think about this: we've had things like we've had Salem and Crystal we've had Star Blazers 2199. We've got uh we've got Dragon Ball Super coming later on. Next year there's going to be a new Yu-Gi-Oh movie based on the original Yu-Gi-Oh characters. So, you know, for all we know, a lot of the classic anime that we love. I mean, like even Digimon's going to have a revival series as well. So, you know, I think it just shows that I think people realize like a lot of anime that we love and this I guess they're still t- going to try to find ways to uh, create revisions on that. I think that's one thing that might be interesting to observe, you know.
0: And, ba- it, and Battle of the Planets, of course.
3: Oh, yes. Battle of the Planets. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. That, that, yeah, with, uh, with the new Battle of the Planets uh, from uh, Novana, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. So,
3: but it, it just it just, showed, you know, it just shows that you know, there's so much out there to see.
0: Okay, well, Martin, Emily... Uh, Thanks a bunch for coming on today. It was great.
2: Thanks for having us.
3: Uh, It was great uh, being here.
0: Well, hope you enjoyed Zonen Canada. Big thanks to the anime master for revealing his identity for us today. You can find Emily at moon-chase.com. Do not forget the hyphen. You can find Carl's music, including the music that you heard on the show today, at ultraclystron.com. If you want to contact me, I'm on Twitter, at Zonen Canada, or you can use the contact form at zonen.ca. If you know anybody who might be interested in the show, please recommend it. Follow us on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud if you can. Thanks a lot. See you again.